What does motion sound like? With Kizikans free shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizikcom socks. Welcome to Scientific American Science Talk, posted on September 24th, 2019. I'm Steve Mursky. On this episode... It's very common now to hear really smart people say, well, string theory, that's a, you know, it's a dead end. I just don't think that's the view of many of those experts. I say again, that, you know, ultimately, nature will be the judge. That's physics historian Graham Farmelow. Longtime listeners may recall hearing him talk about his Paul Dirac biography, The Strangest Man, and the subsequent Churchill's bomb about the early British efforts to develop a fission bomb. His latest book is The Universe Speaks in Numbers, about the relationship between physics and mathematics. A symposium on the subject took place recently at Princeton's Institute for Advanced Study. I caught up with Farmelow after the symposium. Let me cut right to the chase, the mm. last line mm. of the book, mm. which uh, I think is a, a good way, a good place to start. The last line is, the universe is whispering its secrets to us in stereo. It's the in stereo that's really key there. Well, that's, that's right. We, there are two ways, I would argue, that the universe is speaking to us. First of all, the way that everyone knows about, which is the uh, in the form of results from experiments. We talk about nature speaking to us through measurements we make through observations. But what I think is becoming increasingly clear is that mathematics is uh, uh, is also guiding us towards a fundamental understanding of the laws of, of nature. To just give one concrete example, that when Einstein was working on his theory of gravity, he felt Im- it impelled by the, by the mathematical structure drove him to the final answer. And he, he would tell you this, and his peer and colleague Dirac felt very strongly that mathematics was leading him to a solution. So in that sense, nature is speaking to us through, through, through mathematics. If the math is right, it must be true. It must be real in the material world. Yeah, well, I've got to say that uh, to be, it's not a perfect balance because in the end, experiment has got to be, hold the right answer. But mathematics does have this way of, of guiding you to the right uh, final solution. As I said, this happened with uh, Dirac's uh, understanding of the electron, with Einstein's understanding of gravity, you know, that you can't just, just mess about with these things. There's a mathematical structure that puts you in a straitjacket, so to speak, right? And even in future generations, you have to stick pretty close to that straitjacket in trying to develop it. Now, you wrote about Dirac in one of your previous books mm-hmm. and about this this aesthetic that he had, that yep. the, it had to be beautiful. Yep. And the more beautiful it was, the more right it would be. Yeah. But but is that an is that simply an aesthetic, or is there a a an underlying reality to it? Well, this is a controversial question. Of course, uh, it, you're absolutely right to say that uh, for Paul Dirac, the great English uh, theoretical physicist, he came to the conclusion that the way to do theoretical physics to get a really good understanding of nature at the deepest level was to be guided by beautiful mathematics. Mathematics that mathematicians regard as beautiful because that so often found its way into our understanding of nature. And he he argued that beauty in, in in, for example, painting would be in part culturally dependent 
but that he said it didn't, for math, it didn't matter. It, it is. That, uh, I have to say, I think that is a stretch. Well, I'm not Dirac, but I have to say, I think it's a fair criticism uh, to say that w- w- in, in his great 1939 lecture, when he said uh, for the first time, I, I believe, that yes, these uh, other, other types of beauty are culturally dependent, but uh, mathematical beauty is of a different type. Right? It's, a gl- it's something ev- every mathematician knows about. Now, I don't think that would hold up in a philosopher's court, personally, but it is something that does have a certain resonance, if I put it that way, right, with, uh, with, with leading theoretical physics. Not all of them. Some people believe that you can get seduced by, beautiful, uh, by what appears to them beautiful mathematics and, and take it off on the wrong track. Right, but I, I th- it's certainly true that Dirac did not believe that. He believed that if you don't have an appreciation of beautiful mathematics, you should not be doing theoretical physics. He felt that strongly. Right. That, there's a f- yeah. quote in your book where he says that. Uh, yeah. He says. Yeah, you know, yeah. He, he definitely uh, get out he, of the business. He said uh, uh, that. Uh, the mathematical beauty was for him and his friend Erwin Schrödinger, one of the co-discoverers of quantum mechanics. It, this was almost a religion. Yeah. So why did you feel compelled to, to put all this down? This, mm. it's, a, it's kind of a great history of about the last 300 years of math and physics mm-hmm. and how they relate to each other. Mm-hmm. And one of the big challenges mm. is writing about math without showing us the math in most of the cases. So what was your goal in the book? Why did you feel compelled to write it? And how did you address that challenge of Mm -hmm. explaining math without math? Yeah. All right. Uh, Lots of good questions there. Um, uh, Let me just try to... uh, to, uh, to First first of all, in a personal perspective, I I can give it that way. When I started out in the world of uh, theoretical physics, this very mathematical approach was uh, in its infancy, and I hated it. I just thought, nature can't be this complicated. This is going to go away. And I was wrong. It hasn't. And that kind of mathematics has uh, has endured. I wanted to have a better understanding of those uh, of those 40-odd years of, of, of development. But much more important, I think, is that I think that there is uh, still, uh, in my opinion, too little understanding of how... Uh, Einstein's successors at the frontiers of theoretical physics ply their trade, do their work. Still, the majority of people uh, uh, believe, if you uh, look look at uh, most uh, popular books on this subject, that you you take your cues from experiment, you build your theories, and you know, everything is pretty well hunky dory. That's the way you do, and that is actually to be fair. That is. Uh, true for many theoretical physicists and for most uh, most scientists so i don't have a dispute with that what i think is true is that in this particular uh, epoch so to speak or era perhaps is a better word we've had really relatively few clues from experiment we had we had the higgs boson uh, discovery uh, nine, uh, in uh, 2012. Uh, we had the uh, discovery of the uh, accelerating expansion of the universe, a terribly important discovery. But we haven't had that many really great clues. Now, what that means is that physicists, instead of picking up on these surprising clues, have gone into the rich mathematical structures of the theories that we know work well. Einstein's theory of gravity, great, great theory, and the so-called gauge theories of, of fundamental particles that work brilliantly. So the question is, can you develop the the mathematic, the rich mathematics of those theories in order to advance and maybe uh, even work towards a unified 
uh, understanding of those basic forces, which is something that string, the string fr framework purports to do. What I wanted to do was to uh, investigate uh, the legitimacy, so to speak, of, uh, of li many leading people in the field, right, who are not, pat not particularly keen on speaking out, frankly, right? Uh, uh, they, their work is, is what they're here to do. They're not uh, often great popularizers or enthusiastic popularizers. Right? But they want, I wanted to represent the case that, that these great theorists, uh, Edward Witten, Nimra Khani Ahmed, Juan Maldesena along, uh, here at the Institute and, and many others elsewhere, they're working in the tradition that in fact goes back to Einstein, all the way back to Maxwell and, uh, and Newton. Right now, this is absolutely not to guarantee, right, that uh, that they're on exactly the right path. I simply wanted to say that this is a defensible system that uh, uh, is still well worth persevering. I might say that was the conclusion I came to, but I, I had an inkling of that when I when I started the book. But I I, I hope I've made at least a case that that these people are not frankly, wasting their time, lost in mathematics, uh, you know, have, have no idea what they're talking about. This, to me, is a, uh, a, a um, all borderline insulting view of very smart people who can't be bothered, frankly, right, to get involved in, you know, in sort of petty, low-level discussions on these things. Yeah, that's the big issue. I mean, for, for us lay people, hmm. we hear about uh, complaints that all the stuff with string theory is not mm. testable, mm. so it's mm. not really mm. physics. Mm. It's more mm. like mathematical, mm. Mm -hmm. uh, mm. you know, a dalliance. Yes. In, you know, very complicated, but a dalliance. Mm. And then, then there's the point of view, as we've already said, that if you keep getting this uh, mathematics that works, mm. it's probably leading you to some fundamental truth about how the universe actually operates. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, again, I, uh, being ultra-conservative, yeah. as we'll see on this, probably, uh, perhaps not the right word, uh, but close, I, I would say it's still the best bet we have, mm -hmm. right? I mean, uh, yeah, uh, uh, yesterday we were in a talk with Edward Witten on this, and, and he's extremely cautious. He's not somebody to go high-kicking yeah. in saying, you know, I'm right, everybody else is wrong. But he said this is the best way, this is our best bet for building on those theories of gravity and um, 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 for, um, for gauge, gauge. He's he's not a fool by any means, and nor are the other dozens of experts. Uh, right, uh, and uh, I find it. Uh, uh, I, I really think it's important to try to explain why they have this faith in in the way that I ought to say that if experimental cl clues came up, they are pretty confident they'd drop everything, right, of course, and follow right, them. That's right. of course true, right. right? But for the moment, math, uh, the, the fact that this string framework holds together so well, it certainly has got problems. There's absolutely no doubt about that, right? But Theories have had problems before. I mean, you could go back to New uh, Newton's uh, th theory of gravity, where people just did not take that seriously on the continent for decades. You go look at Dirac's theory of uh, of, uh, of holes back in 1930, which people thought well, the Dirac equation, you know, there's something severely wrong with this. This appalling problem of, in, you know, these infinite seas of particles and everything, these went away when we developed our understanding. And I think there is a reasonable hope that we that uh, that th through uh, developing the mathematics, uh, it'd be wonderful to have experimental clues that we will advance in a, in an in an orderly way. But it does require patience. That is true. That's what I think we're short of in physics at the moment. Short of patience. Yeah, I, well, you remember, you know, when uh, again, it's a coincidence. But I, when I moved into this field, it was it was like a party. 
It was incredible. Seriously, Steve, it was like a party. Every It seemed to me that every other month, experiments were coming up with, with really exciting discoveries. I remember my supervisor they were talk, uh, when they were talking about the so-called tau lepton, which is a distant cousin of the electron. And I remember him saying, oh, well, this will go away. And the experiments were going, and, and it became a real particle, right? Now, that's one of dozens of examples here. It was really exciting, not just to see what the experimenters were doing, but to see the uh, working cheek by jowl with theorists, and they were building up what we now call the standard model of the uh, forces that uh, that shape uh, uh, shape the structure of, of atoms. It was an incredibly exciting time. They were coming year after year after year, but that did dry up. It was a flood, and it went down to a trickle. Now, what do we do? Throw up our hands and do nothing, or do we take a, re- a reasonable route, always building on? This is a crucial point the two fundamental theories of of 20th century theoretical physics, which are the the special theory of relativity, which is a theory of motion uh, pioneered by several people, in particular Albert Einstein, and quantum mechanics uh, discovered by Heisenberg and Schrodinger, later Dirac, and and, and others came in. Those theories have never been uh, undermined experimentally. No one has ever cast out on those. Now, by by sticking with those two guide rails, insisting that your fundamental theories stick with those theories, has been an, a, a, a very, very fruitful way of developing stuff. And that is, an, that is something that happened in quantum field theory, where you build on that. Uh, it's, I ought to stress, it's very difficult to do. This is extremely important, right? To get those, uh, Einstein, for example, thought these, it's just not going to be possible to combine those theories, right? Uh, Dirac is another one, and others thought this is just too difficult, right? But it's turned out that you really can build a, a, a quantum uh, th- theory of the, uh, the subatomic forces, some nuclear forces, that respect those two theories. And w- by insisting on those things, it, it's extremely difficult to walk those two type tightropes at the same time. You can be kept on the rails, so to speak, and know that you're traced back to real hard experimental facts. Now, where it's leading to some wild places, all these weird and wonderful topographical uh, discoveries that people are making within the context of string theory and what have you. But nonetheless, it's rooted in, in that stuff. Now, it may be we've taken wrong turnings. Of course, that may be true. But still, I would argue, I, I believe, in, in the way that many lead, leading theorists uh, argue, that this is the, the, the best chance we have of making advances in the current climate. The current climate includes the fact that um, we are only capable of reaching the extreme conditions. Yep. Uh, I mean, we're, well, we're only capable of reaching some of the the, the close, the, the low-hanging fruit mm-hmm. of extreme conditions that would reveal some of these things experimentally. Yep. And, you know, as you say in the book, we'd need a particle accelerator the size of the whole planet yeah, yeah, to I'm, do some of the yeah, experiments the, yeah. that would bear things out. So when you say patience, yeah. are you talking about you know, 300 years or or, two, or 20 years? Well, uh, first of all, let me just say that the string framework that you uh, re- referred to there, that most naturally lives at extremely high energies. And that's going to, that, that is, means that to, to, to test it directly is going to be a, re- a, a real, real challenge. Now, that's not to say that you can't have predictions that show up at lower energies that are a consequence of that framework. Now, that's where pe- people just write, the, uh, uh, write this off, but things things can happen like that. And that that is what people are looking at very, very hard. Now, it, it is 
definitely true that it's going to be a longer haul than than uh, than we had hoped in the in the in the in those golden times when nature was just giving us one clue after uh, after another and it has been it's true to say for most people a disappointment that uh, the Large Hadron Collider, which is a phenomenal achievement of experimenters and engineers uh, and, and all the other people that have made that uh, made that happen, right? that we've been given the, the, this wonderful confirmation of the uh, of the Higgs particle, the last uh, missing piece in the in the in the standard model, but really uh, nothing else that is a real real surprise, right? Now that that is undoubtedly a disappointment, and it's and it's a surprise that. Uh, contrary to our expectations based on on lower energies, that those things haven't shown up, right? So I, I admit we, it, it does require patience with funding, uh, and indeed uh, the theoreticians as a whole have to hang in. Will have to hang in there, and I, I agree that does require some trust on the part of the uh, of the community around us. I don't. My, where I part company with the critics is that I don't think things are anything like as gloomy as as they say, um, and. Uh, I would say this as well, if I, if I, if I may say, I, I, I personally wish uh, more leading theorists would explain directly uh, their case. At the moment, they don't, right? They just, uh, they just don't want to get involved in that because uh, that, that's not what they're particularly good at, uh, you know, being involved in these, uh, you know, these punch-ups, so to speak, right? Uh, and I wish that were not the case because at the moment, it, uh, there's a very loud echo chamber of, of, of dissidents, uh, I'm sure very good people, but that, in my view, they have a disproportionate influence on um, on the climate of thinking among scientists. It's very common now to hear really smart people say, "Well, string theory—that's you know—it's a dead end, and yeah. what have you." I just don't think that's the—that—that's just not the view of many of the world's, world's experts. I say again, you know, ultimately, nature will be the judge. I believe we should be re respectful of the highest uh, uh, or the high achieving people uh, in physics, but I, I accept always be skeptical, but give them a fair hearing. That's the, that's the key point. One of the fascinating things you talk about in the book in, uh, that's been going on for about the last 30 years, mm. how many different approaches um, that seem to be only um, just distantly related or maybe not related at all, wind up leading you to the same place. So people are realizing that they're, they're actually uh, approaching the problem from completely different directions and winding up with the same solutions. And mm. so you have, uh, you know, string theories. This is the, the M theory business, mm -hmm. I think, in the yeah, world, yeah, yeah. where different string theories turn out to be equivalent mm -hmm. and or different aspects of string theory turn out to be equivalent. And then the gauge theories or the different uh, yeah. aspects of them turn out to be. And then you have... The, the fellow, I forgot his name. Malusena. Right, who, who, uh, who realizes that one of the field, uh, one of the string uh, theories and one of the gauge theory mm -hmm. approaches is absolutely exactly equivalent. Yeah. It's, it mm -hmm. is straight. But we're talking here about du uh, dualities, and yeah. this is one of the big pu puzzles, right? Uh, you, you're absolutely right. Throughout theoretical uh, uh, physics, not just particle physics, but condensed matter physics, the physics of solids and, uh, and field theories in general, that one of the really big uh, things of the uh, of the 90s was these repeated discoveries of these dualities, right? where you have two mathematical frameworks that look quite different, but give exactly the same predictions about 
nature. And these, so the series are dual to each other. Now, I must say, this isn't a completely new phenomenon. Right? This, you can trace this back to Maxwell's time, back in the 19th century, right? where you, uh, there was you know, a duality in, in, in that theory of electricity and magnitude, which, which was particularly highlighted by Oliver Heaviside. Right, but right. now we really are. But in, and in, in quantum mechanics, Schrodinger and Heisenberg have completely in different sense, approaches. In, uh, in, yeah. in a sense, in a sense. But the, now they are all over the place. Yeah. So people are saying, now there's something we're, we're we're really not getting at the bottom of this. And uh, uh, Nadi, Nadi Saibo, the eminent uh, um, uh, field theorist, say we are missing something deep yeah, here. Yeah. Right? Now, this is a very important point. Notice here that, that these, these theories are not saying we re- we, we, we're doing great. We're, we're really brilliant here. Everything's working out. They're not saying that. They're saying we really are missing something fundamental here. Right? With something that, that we need a new approach to the, uh, the, the, this subject. The biggest surprise of all was, as you say, the Maldacena uh, discovery that a particular t- a particular uh, string theory right can give exactly the same answers as a particular uh, gauge theory there are lots of riders on that but that was seen as almost as you, as you try to express a kind of miracle right <laughs> now it's, it's it's also important right that the, as the people who live in the real world say those hold that's not a real field theory that's not a real uh, yeah. string that is true yeah. right but in our, in the bones of this, I think this this really has got something to do with the real world. That does require faith. I completely accept that. They know that these people are incredibly smart yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. They know that, right? But that's why people think that really could lead to a, a completely new understanding of, of of gravity, right? That is what this that this thing promises, and that's why that duality is uh, is used so often in exploring black holes, which is. Um, uh, Douglas Stanford, a leading theorist, once said, is the ground zero of the war between um, uh, quantum mechanics and the theory of gravity, right? Mm-hmm. Which are which are very difficult uh, to combine. And when you actually look at look at that combination very closely, it, 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 black holes is a great laboratory to study that on. And those dual theories and now you, allow you to make calculations and, and study it in detail. So let me ask you from from my limited. Mm. Um, educational understanding. Mm. Um, let me let me draw an analogy to, you know, uh, if if light is a wave or a particle. Mm. So some experiments make it look like it's a wave, and some mm. make it look like it's a particle. Yep. In reality, I don't know what it is. Yep. Nobody knows mm-hmm. what it is. Mm-hmm. But the math we use mm-hmm. and the experiments that we do mm-hmm. point to one or the other, and they're both approximations of some. Deeper yes. underlying yeah. reality. Yeah. So, on a very uh, simplistic mm-hmm. basis, is mm-hmm. that what we're dealing with here? We're dealing with some still unknown, maybe unknowable mm-hmm. underlying reality. And with our limited human brains mm-hmm. and the inventions that we can come up with, we we keep approximating it from. You know, it's like the old story about the blind people mm. uh, feeling the elephant and trying mm. to describe what it is and yep. figure out what mm. it is. Mm-hmm. But that goes against the idea that the mathematics itself, mm-hmm. the the coherency of the mathematics, mm-hmm. does indeed point to the deeper reality. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if I've asked a question. No, 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 no. <laughs> well, first of all, you're right about that. We, we, the, the, this idea that light, uh, some people say, is, uh, is, is is described in some circumstances as a wave, other times as a particle. But you, you, when you have a really deep understanding of light through something called quantum electrodynamics, you could understand that in in the in the in the framework of a, of a single theory. 
what we have in uh, um, in these modern versions of, uh, of field theory, uh, modern quantum field theories, it keeps happening that these we, we get these dual these pairings of things that suggest that, that but it, this has got to be this got to be more than a coincidence, surely. Right? And this is what uh, leads so many people to think that we really don't have a basic understanding of those theories. Now, there's another thing, incidentally, that comes up here, which is that when you do really simple calculations, which we have to do to uh, understand the experiments at the Large Hadron Collider, and you do the uh, it, uh, the collisions between, for example, gluons, these particles that mediate the uh, st uh, strong force inside nuclei, when those things collide, when quarks collide, you... you the, the standard, well, uh, well-respected, well-tested theory gives calculations that are hundreds and hundreds of pages long, and then distilled down right into a few lines. Something weird is going on. Even Feynman said this. I happen to know because people that spoke to him. They, we miss it. That we 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 surely we're not calculating them in the same way. That is a, a, another clue, so to speak, that we're missing something big. So, but you see here, here, we're taking a clue from mathematics because the, the, the mathematically, mathematically these things look different. They get the same answers. So, you know, we, we, we're, we're, we're somehow taking out who's not directly from the experiments, but from our mathematical perception of the theories. So th th as I said, you can see, I, I hope I'm g giving a sense of by exploring these theories, we, we know we don't understand them fully, and there's more to understand. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so many different science fields, um, when, a, when a framework is, is put together, hmm. I'm thinking of Mendeleev and the periodic table yep. and Einstein yep. and uh, uh, Darwin and evolution. Mm -hmm. You know, you put the framework together and then... A hole is in the framework somewhere, not a not a hole like Dirac mm. uh, would theorize about. But, you know, Mendeleev said there should be an element here. Mm. We're going to find it. Yep. And Darwin's theory says yep. there's going to be a moth with a yep. very long tongue mm. because there's something that has or nectar in it. something in the fossil it. record or exactly. something Exactly. Like, yeah, We're yeah. going to find We're something find if we look for it. It, it, it. it actually is um, – it, it gives you a research program. Mm -hmm. And so it seems in some way like we're, we're talking about that as well, that mm -hmm. this is pointing to stuff. The problem is it's not so easy to look for. No, no, I, I, I know. And th this, th this is undoubtedly, absolutely undoubtedly a challenge for, uh, uh, for people interested in, uh, in, in the, way that, you know, the way the atoms work, uh, so, so to speak. And as I say, this is, a, a difficult, this is definitely a challenging period. There's absolutely no doubt about that. Um, uh, my, my view is that, um, that there are sufficiently many positive clues that, we're, that, that, that there's no reason to be uh, despondent. But I do accept that the, um, the lack of clean experimental tests the, the way that the expectations of the theorists uh, uh, for, for what we would see at the Large Hadron Collider were not realised. So it does make you vulnerable to, uh, to, to critics who say, well, these guys have lost their way. What I think is very important is that the, uh, the, the critics, you know, I'm sure have complete integrity in this, they aren't suggesting better ways ahead. That really, that really is yeah. right. Or if, if they are, uh, that they are, uh, they are, how can I put it, uh, 
most of them very quickly dispensed with, frankly, right? Even though they might survive in the popular sphere, right? Um, because you know in physics, if you come up with a really good idea, right, that is uh, counter-orthodox, so to speak, people will jump on it pretty quickly in the positive direction if they think it's going to further their careers. And I happen to believe that... Uh, uh, it, the, uh, the, uh, the science community, the theoretical physics community in particular, uh, if there were a better way, they would, they would move to it pretty quickly. Right? And I don't think the critics, and I, as I said, I respect their integrity in, in doing that and their honesty in coming out with it, but we're not getting from them the, clip, the, the, uh, you know, the, the, the other options that we can pursue. One of the things that you talk about that, it, that's so kind of wonderful about math is um, things have been developed by mathematicians decades or even more than oh, a century. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You talk toward the end of the book, I forget the mathematician's name, but he did work in the late 19th century mm -hmm. that people suddenly realized was applicable. This is uh, Grossman? Uh, I think so. Yeah, well, there's, there's several of them. Yeah, like yeah. That. Well, the best example is, is the one that uh, has suddenly uh, been found to be useful is Einstein's search for his theory of gravity. He believed, as a young researcher, that uh, that you didn't need com advanced mathematics to do research, and he did brilliantly in in that. He came up with his theory of the of uh, light quanta, his Brownian motion, his relativity, and the mathematics there was quite simple. It was it was uh, well over a hundred years old, and he flourished brilliantly on that. Yeah, the mathematics. I remember taking what was then called modern physics. Mm. And the mathematics is really it's, straightforward. It's pretty straightforward. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway. As opposed well, to general relativity. Oh, which, right. Well, yeah. let, let's come on to that. Yeah. When he wanted to uh, develop his theory of relativity it, it, and generalize it in such a way that it gave him a theory of gravity, he found around 1912, courtesy of his, uh, of his old friend Besso, that he couldn't do that unless he used this advanced mathematics of, of, of differential geometry, of tensors and what have you. Now, as a student, Einstein had skipped his math classes. He'd, uh, you know, he just ignored all this stuff, and he really found he had to use it, right? And what made such a searing impact on him was that that mathematics, uh, in, 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 in his perception, it led him to that, uh, to that, uh, that answer in large measure. It, it, uh, people say, rightly, that he underplayed the extent to which experimental constraints guide him to that answer. That's true. But for him, it was a very, very powerful time, right, when, when it was mathematics guided him to a new law of nature, to a successor for Isaac uh, of, of Newton's theory of gravity. And I might say straight away, differential geometry was super turbocharged by that, uh, that, that, that work of Einstein's and suddenly became a, a much more flourishing uh, aspect of mathematics. I mean, the, the ideal, you know, the ideal world, because we, we don't live in an ideal world. We, 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 you know, we have to deal with nature as we find it, right? Uh, it, it, is, it was wonderful, as in my youth and all my friends and colleagues there, when nature was just talking to you through these experiments all the time, right? But uh, it's not happening now. So it seems to me that, that, that we have to take advantage of what, what mathematics is telling us. And so far, it seems that it's telling us a lot of uh, mind-blowing uh, things that, uh, that unfortunately are not most of them not amenable to, uh, directly to experiment, but that doesn't mean that they're wrong, right? It means that we that we have to uh, we have to develop uh, develop them carefully and spend time getting the picture right. You talked about Feynman. It's a great quote in your book. He was uh, he was making fun of a string theorist. Oh yeah, at Caltech, mm -hmm. and he. Uh, Saw him walking down the hall, and he shouted out at him. Do you remember the quote? Yeah, he said, "How many, uh, how many uh, dimensions are you in today, 
John Schwartz, John Schwartz right. yeah, who's a great, great one of the great pioneers <laughs> of string theory. Now, to be fair, um, Richard Feynman, an absolutely brilliant theorist, was sceptical. I think it's fair to say, but uh, it is true that he had says he did say some harsh things about uh, about the, the string framework, and he, uh, and he certainly ne- never studied in great detail, as far as I know. Um, but he was, according to John Schwartz, being largely jocular. It's impo- it's important put up history there because um, Murray Gell-Mann, who was uh, um, his uh, uh, friendly, ri- or sometimes friendly, rival at, Ca- at Caltech. He really did nurture John Schwartz at, at Caltech when that was a very unpopular field. And John and Michael Green uh, from uh, the University of London, they did, after, after uh, a, a long period of working together, come up with that, with, with that str- uh, string framework, which has proved uh, very rich, for uh, exploration for physicists, not in direct contact with experiment, that's perfectly true. But the thing that is really encouraging to them is that it's been a Klondike for mathematicians. Yeah. I mean, I spoke several times with Sir Michael Atiyah, one of the great mathematicians of the 20th century. He just died in he January. He died in January. I interviewed yeah. him for my own podcast uh, just a few weeks before he died. Oh. And uh, he, although he never worked directly on string theory, he was saying that was just like the biggest Christmas present we ever yeah. had in mathematics because of the number of ideas it generated. And again, in in the spirit of Dirac, you could say there's a sign there. Mm-hmm. But that does require faith. It's not proof, but it's a sign that when researchers in physics and mathematics are, are on the same territory, right, are in the, uh, just trading zones, so to speak, overlapping trading zones, that something is going right. I stress again, uh, it's a matter of faith, uh, but I think it's worth persevering with. What do you hope that lay people who are just sort of generally interested in math and science will, will get from your book? I hope that they will see this as a great intellectual adventure that began, uh, roughly speaking, with, with Newton. You, you could say it was before, but I, I, I begin with Newton, and it continues to this, this day. We, we, uh, these are, as, as, we've, uh, as we've discussed, uh, um, lean times in terms of, uh, it's of the standard way of doing science. But I think they're very exciting because I think that if, the, if theorists are right and that, that they are being, uh, that things are going in a good direction with the string framework and our understanding of field theory, we really have uh, the prospect of, of a, a new, radically new understanding of space and time. And we can really address really big questions of how the universe began, how it might end and what have you. These are really fundamental questions that we can only answer by digging very, very deep into, uh, uh, into an understanding of, of the laws of nature. That's it for this episode. Get your science news at our website, www.scientificamerican.com, where you can read the article in the new issue of Scientific American, the October issue, by Ellen Ripple-Shell, A New Theory of Obesity. It examines the role of ultra-processed foods in the obesity epidemic. And follow us on Twitter, where you'll get a tweet whenever a new item hits the website. Our Twitter name is at Siam. For Scientific American Science Talk, I'm Steve Mursky. Thanks for clicking on us. 